Hey everybody, my name is Josh Williams. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm grateful for you being here. I'm thankful that we've been talking about stories for a long time. And shout out to Kim just for telling a quick story uh, about what God is doing. That's really our hope, is that we would realize that this part of the series, hey, there's something we've talked about that we can do all the time. We can just share our stories in a simple way, um, even just for a minute. Uh, that's it. Uh, and they can encourage us, they can grow us. There's actually a story I think it's a little funny. Um, I gave uh, a few messages for uh, kind of a uh, few churches, and one was really simple, like very simple. The message was simply, go outside. Like that was the message. Like go outside and be a Jesus person outside. It could just be like you read your Bible outside. That's it. And I think it was funny. People were like, that was a, like going outside. Like what? Like going outside and trying to be like Jesus. Like that's a, like, I was like, yeah, he kind of goes outside a lot. You know, like he's outside teaching, like delivering, like He's feeding hungry people. He's just doing a lot outside. They're like, I never thought of, like, going outside. That's amazing. Okay, now here's a story. That's kind of a funny story, but here's a story. So then another woman comes up, and she says, wow, that's been happening to me. Like, I've just been going outside on my front porch, and I see people all the time. And I thought of something. I should just have, like, this little thing of doggy treats, because there's a lot of dog walkers. And then, like, people will come, and we'll get connected, and it'll be cool. And that's what happened. And she told me, like, seven stories all with dogs, all with doggy treats, of basically being entangled, not just with the dogs, with each other, but like actually in people's lives. As people saw her, she just shared her life, and then she got into you know, a prayer relationship. She ended up having coffee and lunch with a lot of people. I was like, that's crazy. And all just started with a simple thing of going outside, going on her front porch, seeing people. And I thought, why haven't I ever you know, gotten doggy treats? There's tons of dog walkers. So there's stories that people can tell us that can actually change some things. Maybe that changes something for you. But I wonder in this series if you've learned a little bit more about the power of your story, the power of our stories, what it means to share. I think almost every week we've been talking about this verse in Revelation. They triumphed over the devil by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. The sacrifice of Jesus, but also your story that can show the sacrifice that can show his love, that can show his goodness. That if we see that in people's lives, we can be encouraged. And if we share that with other people, perhaps they can be encouraged too. I think you've seen a pattern though, as we've shared, that some of the stories that we've shared have been pretty individualistic. You know, it's how I trusted God and saw God come through, how I learned about my calling, how I was wronged with others, and even some of the you know, stories we've read, like their stories of these big people, like leaders of the faith, like Abraham, Moses, obviously Jesus. And I think there's something about knowing that, yes, God works in us individually, but God also works in us communally. You know, it's not just these individual moments of reflection where we're like, God, would you speak to us? Like, would you give us this moment of like, you know, hearing something? But God works when we actually are together. God works in and through our community in and through community in general, in and through church. Now that's a scary thing, but it's a true thing. God works in and through us. Some of our best stories happen there, and that's been true of my life. Simple invitations from God, from others, and having some senses that I think there's a bigger yes here as I join other people. Now, a lot of times I don't know what the yes is. A lot of times I'm scared of the yes, but I'm wondering what's the thing happening as I enter something bigger. My first year at Yale, I was looking for, for a way to integrate kind of my fledgling faith with uh, a passion I had for justice. 
And I didn't know how to do that, um, but I, I was hoping for that, I was praying for that. And so I was looking on the website, if you've you know, seen some of these college websites, like this is like 100 groups, no, probably more like 500 groups. So I was looking through all of them, just one by one, is there anything for me? And I saw this group called Salt of the Earth, Christians for Social Justice. And I was like, maybe this is it. This sounds great. This could be cool. And then uh, there was a problem, though. As I looked at the website, it was a website. This is 2004, so internet is not Web 2.0. But this website is like even earlier than that. Like things are not working. You've got that little weird button where it's like it's, it doesn't load. There's some strange things happening on this website. It doesn't seem like anyone is in it at all, like this group. So I email. Uh, this little email that's at the bottom, and I get an email back from someone that had already graduated. She confirms, I graduated. I was like one of two people in this group. They were also a senior. They graduated. There's no one. But several people have emailed that are first-year students. So like, do you all want to start this? Like, you, you wouldn't know what the group is about. Like, there's no group. But you're all first-years. You seem to be interested. Just meet up. That was the invitation. There's no one else, no sophomores, juniors, seniors, but there's a few first years that apparently looked at this list of 500 and said, yes. So we decided to meet up. Our group was small. This was around, like, like I said, 2004. So uh, Christianity, faith, evangelicalism, especially at Yale, was very defined by a president. You know, you probably know the one that was very famous for like, here's like my born again experience. Here's my, so this was something that was all over campus. You know, just thinking about who, what kind of faith is this? And we were interested in pursuing Jesus, but we were kind of confused. Like, what does it mean for us to pursue Jesus and to be people that wanted to follow justice and uh, pursue justice? Um, the group was really small. There was a lifelong New Yorker um, who I didn't know at the time had tried to commit suicide just a few years ago. I saw things on her wrist, you know, little bands. I didn't know what that meant then, but a few years later she would tell our whole group her story. Every week she came and found community there. There was uh, a person who we didn't know their faith background. They were really involved in drama and, and shows, and they always were like working on a tech thing, so they came when they could, but they loved the group. We're always like, is this person a Christian? We, we don't know, but like they come every week. It was great. Um, there was a Southern anarchist that was amazing. Uh, this person was in my Spanish class, I think my first semester. Didn't know their story, but they talked a lot. So I, I, I just, there was a lot that was there, but I was like, whoa, tell me more. But they were always asking great questions and really had a lot of personal questions too about what it meant to follow Jesus, you know, how to do that. And this person was really kind of exploring uh, even that in the intersections of identity. Someone was like, what does it mean for me to be uh, a Christian? That was something that was uh, really, really interesting. And I was this black dude coming from Iowa on a spiritual quest, interrupted by, uh, or interrupted by trying to see, like, how could I, you know, follow Jesus with everything else going on? We all came together, and we kind of formed this motley crew. We loved Jesus. We wanted to pursue justice. And every Monday, we poured over the scriptures. We prayed together. And we had a sense that faith and action like, meant something for us. I think those were the only three things that united us. Other than that, there was a lot of differences, a lot of questions we had, ways we didn't know how to go about following Jesus. But somehow, over and over again, God kept meeting us in that group. And unlikely stories happened. Together, 
kind of unbeknownst to us, we became known as these Christians that were doing activism and justice. People wanted to know, like, how is this possible? Like, how could you do those two things together? We didn't know that was, like, confusing or strange, but people that were in, like, labor organizing, all these other groups that came to us, like, you need to tell us more about this. We're like, okay. Some people in the group were very uncomfortable with that. Um, they did not want their faith to be that public. Some of us were just hanging on to a thread for faith. And every week we came to the scriptures, it was a week they were sort of like, might be done. This might be the last week. And then God met us. Uh, the group uh, really made fun of me a lot because they're like, you're really excited about Jesus. I'm like, it's a Bible study, aren't we all? They're like, no, no, you're different though. Like, you're different. And I was like, come on, don't, don't do that to me. They're like, yeah, it's kind of like you're like, evangelical with this. I'm like, no, don't say that word. Come on. Like, just like, what? Like, I didn't really know what that meant, but I was like, it seems like a bad thing. Like, they're like, you just seem like earnest about this. I was like, stop. But they just knew that there was something about, uh, yeah, the faith that God was growing in me. And they're like, that seems like interesting. I don't want it, but like, that's interesting. And we're like, kind of okay with what you're doing. And that's actually where I met Tina, my senior year. There was so much happening in this group that was unexpected. But it, it really was just about us meeting together, that we saw God move in and through all of us. Again, an unlikely crew, differences abounded, but somehow just being together on Mondays, pouring over the scriptures, praying, united us. We agreed that God was at work in us, and it really helped us through a lot of struggles that we had. There's something about God working and moving in and through community. I hope some of you have a story like this. Maybe it was an earlier time in your life. Maybe it's right now at ECB. Maybe it's through a home group. For some of you, uh, maybe that's been really hard to find. And for others, maybe it's become rather easily. But I think God is at work in one another. And when we find that, there's almost nothing like it. But it's still really hard. You probably have had those moments right before home group, either that you're hosting or you're going to, and you're either in the car or behind the door, and you're like, I don't want to do this. Why am I doing it? Like, you're hosting, you're like, do I, can I not open my door? I know it's a door, but like, can I keep this closed today? And you're like, what, wait, I'm the host. Should I be thinking that? Some of you are laughing. You might be there. I don't know. Maybe not. And some of you, you've sat in your car or you've walked and you've just like taken the block again. And you're like, do I want, like, did they see me yet? Like, I'm not sure. Like, I could just keep walking. That's a choice I have. But you've decided to come back around. For some of you, that happened a while ago. For some of you, it, it happens every week. For some people, maybe around 3.55, it happened today. I, I don't know. I'm not judging, right? There's something about choosing community that's difficult. It's difficult to understand how God will meet us, not just as like the sovereign faith experience, but in and through community. And crucially, how we can begin to expect God to do that and to lean in. Part of what Todd was saying about Empowered Series is there's something that changes when we expect things versus just coming in and not knowing what's going to happen. We can begin to expect a little bit of how God will move. Expect how God will move in community and then respond with trust and obedience. So let's pray together. God, would you come today? Would you come and be here would you be present? We pray for your love and your goodness. We pray for your stories, and we pray for you to move in ours.
pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think the story we're going to read today is one of the more difficult stories of seeing God move in and through community. Like, we can read it as a cute story. We can read it as like sort of an origin story. But if we really read it, we're going to kind of be mad, if we're honest, and also just struggle with what does this really mean that God could ask us to do something like this? You know, we read about Abraham, Moses, Jesus. Now we're going to look at the early church. And specifically, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9. And doing it all, we're going to be asking that question about what are we expecting? We're expecting kingdom activity in us and others. We're expecting offense. Yes, I know, it's hard. And we're expecting our blindness to be healed more and more. So let's read together. It's Acts chapter 9. If you want to open your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. It's verses 1 through 6. We're just actually going to go through this story today. It says this, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. I think a lot of the stories that we've read in this series seem like this. Someone that is uh, this hero of the faith on the beginning part of their journey, and they have an encounter with the Lord. Obviously, this is a little different. It's Saul. He's killing people. He's accusing people. He's putting people in courts. But it still kind of reads as this individual encounter. It's God and just us. But there's something more that's going to happen here. As Jesus speaks to Saul from heaven, he says, why do you persecute me? And Saul says, who is this? He doesn't know. He doesn't know the voice. And Jesus says, it's I. We can almost see the story ending there, feeling like it's perfect and complete. Now get up and go. It's another go and God will show. Remember that from our story in Abraham. Go and God will show this new thing. But our stories never end with just our special encounter with God. Whether that's you reading scripture, whether that's you coming to church, whether that's you in a time of prayer on a walk, our stories just don't end there, even if we would want them to. Our stories are more interconnected. It's not just go and God will show, but a lot of times it's go and God will show someone else or another story or another person. We have these ways of seeing kingdom and activity and expecting kingdom activity in others. We see how the story works out because there's an unusual twist that comes up next. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. 
So we see this amazing individual kingdom activity, right? Saul actually hearing the voice of Jesus, recognizing who Jesus is, and then starting to maybe do something different than he had done before. But in this part of the passage, we see something else happen. We see two men, and we see these two ways that they could be offended. You know, you see Saul's experience of perhaps coming to faith. Usually, you know, if that's something that's been part of your story or maybe you've seen in a group or a ministry, there's some things that happen when people come to faith, right? People say, oh, I'm experiencing joy, maybe for the first time. I'm experiencing peace in my heart. I'm feeling like these tensions have been resolved. You know, some people, I love this description. I've heard this a number of times. They say it, it was like life was in black and white, and now it's in technicolor. I haven't heard of the testimony yet that said, Josh, I came to faith, and now I'm blind. That's just not something I've heard before. Maybe you guys have, right? It's a little weird. Like, Jesus reveals himself and then blinds this dude. Like, that's weird. Like, that's offensive. Like, wait, you told me, is this because I persecuted you? But then you said you're Jesus, and you're going to send me on a mission. Kind of need to see for that. He's blind. Offense. Ananias has another one. Unlike Saul, he's familiar with God's voice. When the Lord speaks, the question is not, who are you? But it's, yes, Lord. There's familiarity. There's friendship. There's relationship. So Ananias doesn't ask a question about who's speaking. He has some other questions. Wait, I'm going where? With who? This? No, I can't do this. This guy, like, killed some of Jesus' best friends. How could I do that? He's heard all these reports, all the harm he's done to holy people, and he's come with authority to arrest people who call on your name. You know who that is? That's me, God. Like, I call on your name. So can I call on your name for help? Oh, no, the help is going there? That doesn't square up. But the call is still to go. This is the offense of letting God do a little bit more in your story than just with your life, right? Because instantly you're drawn in. Saul's sight comes back, not through him, but through community. Saul knows that, but he doesn't know how to do that. And Ananias knows that if he's answering, yes, Lord, that means something about their relationship. But then when Jesus says, hey, the next thing is to actually connect and eventually to restore sight to, to Saul, man, maybe you shouldn't say yes, Lord, anymore. Yes, God. Yes, person who's talking to me from heaven. But Lord, that's a little dangerous. There's some offense in what you're expecting the kingdom activity to be if it goes beyond your story into the story of others. And the call is still to go. We can expect kingdom breakthroughs in our stories with one another. We can expect offense as God sends us to places we'd never go ourselves. Tina and I, uh, we lived in a neighborhood called Kensington, just a little street in New Haven. It's an inner city neighborhood. We lived there for six years. And so much was good about that experience. There was one day where I was coming back from like this all day training. Just wanted to go into my house. Uh, I think I got dropped off, went in. I immediately on the corner saw someone. One thing I was trying to do and doing a really bad job at was trying to connect with my neighbors. And for me, the closest neighbor was not someone in a residence but basically guys who were just outside on the corner. Those were my closest neighbors. And I was struggling with what would it mean to connect and to relate. I had tried to do it. It was, it was not going like 
fantastically. But I saw someone and instantly, it wasn't just that they were a person in the corner, I felt like God was like highlighting them. Some of you might have had this experience where it's almost like a person is like highlighted, like with a highlighter, it's weird. And I sense like, oh, this impression, oh, I should talk to this person. I walked right past them. And then I said, okay, I don't want to like stand with my bag, that was my excuse, I don't want to stand with my bag the whole time, I want to put my bag down, and God, if this person like, you know, is there, like when I go back outside, I'll talk to him. I might have done a few other things, like, okay, let me go to the bathroom, let me clean up the house a little bit, Tina, you need me to do anything? Like, I might not have gone outside, like, right away. I'm just being honest. But then I went outside, and he was there. And we started to talk, and I was thinking, like, oh, this is going to be an interesting conversation, like, I wonder where it's going to come up. This dude came heated. Why are you here? Okay. Like, well, I live here. No, no, why are you here, though? I mean, like, what are you talking about? Like, well, what's your mission here? I'm like, has this guy been like watching me? Like, what's going on? Tina's like offended. I'm like, well, you, you know the story already. And uh, he basically made me say like, I'm praying for this neighborhood. Like, I wanna see good things here. And then I think I was, you know, foolish enough to be like, yeah, like Dr. King, like beloved community, like this, like, you know, and he was like, Dr. King sucks. <laughs> like literally, like who does that? But he was like, that's trash. Like that's not gonna help our neighborhood. That's gonna hurt. Like, if you're bringing that, I don't want it. And I was like, wow. And then we talked for like two more hours. And we were talking about, well, what does the neighborhood need? And like, what is God doing in this person? It, I was learning that. He wasn't talking that way yet. And it was crazy because I was so offended and hurt. And also like, God, I didn't want to be out here in the first place. Now this guy's like basically making fun of me from living, for living here. He knows where I live. I don't know where he lives. When I tell you that this guy was so opposed and so against, but we actually became friends as he stayed opposed and as he stayed against. And then we started to kind of understand each other a bit more. Like he was sort of like, okay, you do this God thing. Okay. But like maybe our neighborhood does need some of that. Probably not the way you're saying it, Josh, but maybe it needs a little bit of it. But then he also told me more about what he was thinking the neighborhood needed. And he told me more his story with the neighborhood. And even today, he's actually like kind of made some leaps on a faith journey. But he still brings out the like, but no, 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 Josh, not your way though. I know I rock with Jesus now, but not your way. I'm like, dude, lighten up. But part of it is like that offense of just someone who's different from you sometimes doesn't go away. But what can change is connection and connectedness. And also the feeling that that wasn't my connection. That was God's connection. I didn't want to talk to him, but God put us together for a reason. I just texted with this guy like two or three days ago. Like there's still a connection. And God can build that in you, but you gotta ask that question. Are you ready to rely on kingdom activity? You're not just talking to anyone. You're asking the Lord, God, if you're gonna give me a hard conversation, at least can you give me direction so I can know that it's you leading me? Can you expect kingdom activity that way? And also, can you expect to be offended? Like, it's just going to happen. And can you put your offense to God? So sort of be like, God, I'm having trouble with this. Can you translate this for me? Because when you do that, God can work in and through a lot of different communities in a lot of different ways. It doesn't have just to be people that you already have a relationship with or people you already agree with, but actually it can go deeper, much deeper. So if you didn't catch it, God's doing all of this. He's doing the most just to tell people something, right? This is 
Jesus, who just struck Paul and told him something, right? Couldn't he do the same thing? Couldn't he just keep doing that with people? But he seems to really want to use people to tell them about one another, even when it's really costly. I always read the Ananias story. I'm like, really, God? That's really messed up. It's not just that they're like different or offensive. That was more the story I shared. Like, it's deadly. Like, it could really cause the loss of life. And God still says, dude, I'm doing that. To the point where he gives Saul this dream, right? This guy will actually be someone who will heal you. He's telling Saul about the obedience that Ananias is really not ready to do. That's how much God's setting things up. It's a little bit crazy. Saul hears the voice of Jesus. He's blinded by God. He has a dream about how to get his sight back through a person who's from a group that he used to arrest and kill. That's our one person. And then Ananias hears the voice of Jesus. He's challenged by God to go to a house to welcome Saul. The Lord reveals that God is using Saul to proclaim salvation to the group he used to kill. Make it make sense. God is doing work to prepare these two to meet one another. I want to ask you something. If you've ever felt like, even as you've not seen uh, a connection yet, a kingdom connection, maybe even you're not offended yet, have you ever felt like God's been preparing you for those kinds of connections? Whether it's in your office, whether it's with, you know, parents in your kid's school, whether it's people at church, it's almost like God's preparing you for something that could almost feel like war, to be honest. But you know that you're drawn. You know there's something that God wants to do. It's almost like God's preparing you. In this case, it's a lot of supernatural activity, dream, speech. I think it can be that. It can also be a deep sense. I think God wants me to do something that I'm not sure if I want to say yes to. Yikes. How will I deal with that? Last bit of the scripture before we wrap up. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Ananias had a journey, because this man that killed his friends is now, did you catch it? A brother. And he's called brother before he even knows what Saul will do. He gives this almost like word of faith, like, you're a brother now. He just commits to it. I think it's because he trusts God's role in this bigger unfolding story. Ananias and Saul both have a healing happen that day. A healing of the heart, this healing of being baptized in the water and the spirit now together, and also the sight that's restored. But I think it's not just Saul who actually heals from blindness, but Ananias too can see Saul for the first time as brother. Seeing God and seeing one another. Can you imagine that for your story? God using community life to promote kingdom activity in you. God using community life to offend you towards growth and towards majority. God using community life to heal you. Now at the end of the day, there's a question that's been seared into my heart from reading this passage. Just prepping and seeing what God might be doing here. And it's without others, where would you still be blind? Because remember, Ananias' obedience is not guaranteed. That's like a weird part of the story. Like, I don't know what would have happened. Would Saul just be blind, right? <laughs> like, just walking around like, this guy needed to see, right? 
to see the people he was called to, the Gentile people. He needed to see, to write these letters that we've feasted on for, you know, so many years. He, he needed to see, but he couldn't do that on his own. He couldn't do that on his own. Without others, where would you still be blind? I think about that for even that group salt I was talking about. If I didn't have that group, the original group was predominantly women, just women of faith, like walking faith out in a way I hadn't seen before. If I didn't have that group, I don't know really where I'd be. Like they kept me. And I think we could expect to be less blind when we're with one another, even if we're not sure how healing is going to come. What is your story around that? I can think of so many, and so many in this community. Moments that have been beautiful, moments of learning for us together. I'm not gonna tell a story for time, but just thinking about some of the things that happened in 2014, um, that's when I became lead pastor. I think the same weekend, it's the weekend that Mike Brown was killed. And so much of what we did in that season was just do really hard things together trying to figure out what does this mean for our life and our faith. Getting crazy emails, sending crazy emails, just being a little crazy together. And I was like, ooh, this is rough. I was like, Tina, like, do I still gotta do this? Do God, should I keep doing this? These emails are, oof, they're not looking good right now. It was some rough stuff, but God was using that for our whole body. Different times where we've wondered, what does it mean for us to truly press in what it means to be multi-ethnic or to care for the city. That's been hard, it's been painful. I think we've needed each other to see each other. Even in the last 10 months, we've had so many conversations, so many interactions around sex, gender, and sexuality. Rough moments, hard moments. Moments that even got to breaking points. Some people are like, I'm still there, it's right there. But the question is, how can we still see one another, be with one another, in the ways we can, not the ways we can't. Asking the Lord for help, knowing there has to be kingdom activity. It can't be us, it can't be our strength. And we're gonna have to expect to be offended. Some people are like, yep, <laughs> that's me. That's happened. But there's also this expectation that something can come from it that looks a little bit more like maybe we can't claim healing, but it's being less blind as we see what the wider body is doing, is feeling, and we wonder how to participate through kingdom activity, not just doing anything and everything, but asking the Lord, what are we to do? Sometimes even we try to fix things. We can't do that if we're just trying to do it on our own. But if we're asking the Lord, God, what's my step? What's my role? God tends to speak pretty freely sometimes but then we're still expecting offense and we're still expecting not to do it by ourselves. As I was thinking about this talk, um, there's uh, a passage that came up that I think has become meaningful for more people even unbeknownst to me from 1 Corinthians. And I wanna read it as a prayer for us. It's a section where Paul, the same person that you know, was an enemy to the church, you know a little bit more of the story, only seen because of someone else's obedience, writes this beautiful passage about the body. I love the writings of Paul because they all, and Todd mentioned this in communion, we always have to recognize his position. 
He's writing as someone that's helping the church, but the background is someone that was trying to destroy it. And he didn't just have his own individual encounter with God that made everything okay. He actually had other people like Ananias see him, welcome him in, in costly ways. I'm gonna read this for us and please just take a posture of like receiving a prayer or a blessing. And where things maybe hit with you, just say, yes, Lord, or more, Lord, or come, Holy Spirit. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty where our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor, honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. These are the words of Saul who became Paul, of an outsider who tried to kill insiders and then became an insider and then tried to help outsiders come in. It's weird, and Paul kind of writes like that, right? That's his story. And we've got to find out where our story is in all of this, what this means for us. We've got to pray, Jesus, tell us what this means for my story, for our story, for the story of the church, the story of the global church, the historic church. What does this mean? Paul's writing it to people, trying to convince them, persuade them, have them think about some things. And I think he's maybe doing the same thing. The Spirit's doing the same thing in our body. What could this actually mean for us? I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as we continue to build a culture of expectancy here. To expect that there's going to be movement in you and in others that's of the kingdom. Again, I don't think this can be our best thought. This can't be reactionary. This can't be just from impulse. It's got to be from asking the Lord, Lord, lead us. And then we'll see kingdom activity. I don't think Ananias would have gone to Saul otherwise. I don't think Saul would have even had a journey of becoming a person who follows Jesus. The kingdom needed to do something in them. The kingdom needs to do something in you. Then there's this expecting offense that's towards you and towards others. Can you build a way of hearing that not just leading to outrage, not just leading to uh, being someone that's against, but actually giving it to the Lord. 
And then can there be less blindness and more healing in you and others through the kingdom? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come and be present with us right now? Be present with our body. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you sift, that you reach out, that there's something about deep crying out to deep. It's part of what you do. So I pray that you would do that now. The thing that strikes me as I'm just praying now to see what God wants to do in this time is that Ananias and Saul, they both respond to God. And actually, that's what I want to pray over us, that you would be a person that in a time of tension, in a time of uncertainty, in a time where you're wondering, how can God work in and through, not just me, but through more people? I'm going to pray right now for us that we'd be more responsive to God, whether we say, Yes, Master, yes, Lord, or whether we say, who is it? Actually, they all lead to Jesus, right? So wherever you are, that's something you're desiring, just to hear more from the Lord. There's more responsiveness. Just hold out your hands like you're receiving a gift. I just want to pray speech from God over you. You might hear something in this moment. You might have a dream tonight. You might just have an inspired time in Scripture this week. But I want to pray over you that you would hear the voice of the Lord that you would be directed by God. There would be kingdom activity that would come through your openness. And remember, it's fine to say yes, Lord, and it's fine to say who is it. What matters is you respond. So Holy Spirit, would you pour out on these ones, pour out your prophetic speech, pour out your spirit, pour out your voice. And especially where there's confusion, God, would you speak? Would you draw? And I pray the word repentance over us as a body that we would repent, Lord, so we could hear from you. That's the only way these two did it. They, they had to hear from you. There was no other way. And Lord, we've been hearing other voices or, or kind of letting other things block things out. Lord, I just pray repentance over us and a fresh wind, a fresh wave of hearing the voice of the Lord. There's going to be a time for us to worship and respond and worship to say, Lord, help us change our mind. Help us repent before you. I want to seek you and hear your voice. There's gonna be a time where there's prayer ministry where you can take this invitation, whether it's for hearing God more, whether it's feeling like, oh, I know how God wants to turn me around. You can take that invitation. There's gonna be several more invitations that we're gonna hear right now. This is more speech from God, more kingdom activity. We try to do this every week. It's almost like trying to give our congregation fresh bread, something fresh from God. It's just an offering, we're just trying. We find that when we try like this, we see more of what God's doing.